day i kind of made some college kid angry and uh he sent me a file he social engineered me and uh yeah it totally destroyed that whole computer so <laughs> my dad came home from work he was not happy that his he needed to get more work done and the computer was destroyed so i just remember him you know taking the computer up with one hand and throwing it on my bed and then saying that's yours i'm gonna buy a new one never touch my computer again and that's how I got my first computer. What's up, everyone? Paramified Podcast, Bryce Coons, my homie. Have a little bit of a history. Excited for today. Man, this will be this will be sweet. Uh, talking about InfoSec in all of its glory. And uh, anyway, Bryce, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kenny. Really appreciate it. So enjoyed catching up with yourself and Keaton this morning. So yep. I understand Keaton's going to be refereeing this podcast, which, yeah. I'm, which I appreciate because someone's <laughs> got to keep me on task, right? So, um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Yep. We got our beverages right here. Uh, I'm going Mountain Dew Zero. Uh, Spark, I always do that. Uh, got the Red Bull. Yep. Standard referee drink. Yep. Red Bull is kind of a rough drink. That's what true. would happen if we mix these two drinks together? Let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try it. The last guy who did that. <laughs> yeah. That podcast, we couldn't even air. His <laughs> face was just so messed up. Oh. Okay. Okay, so, all right. Bryce, I've heard your backstory one time on some Sweet. podcast a while ago. And I think I paid attention. It just had me there, but I'd forgotten most of it. But I know that it started your your journey. And InfoSec started in SoCal. Yeah. As a youth. Yes, that is true. So tell us. Yeah, I uh I was really into computers when I was a kid, right? I, I even when I was in elementary school. So uh, your dad had a computer. Yeah, he did have a computer, and I was on it twenty four seven, so he could never use it, which was problematic <laughs> for his work. And then you know, one day I kind of made some college kid angry, and uh, he sent me a file. He social engineered me. And uh, yeah, it totally destroyed that whole computer. So my dad came home from work. He was not happy that his, he needed to get more work done and the computer was destroyed. So I just remember him, you know, picking the computer up with one hand and throwing it on my bed and then saying, that's yours. I'm going to buy a new one. Never touch my computer again. And that's how I got my first computer. So I was super stoked. <laughs> Ever since then, I just kept adding to the whole ecosystem. Um, at the time, there was a lot of like computer fairs in Southern California where they'd be like, they come through once a month or once a quarter and kind of have a bunch of computer parts. So I'd go down there with my dad on Saturdays and just try to haggle or scavenge to like get a new video card or whatever. Got to get, you know, way better frame wakes when you're playing Counter-Strike, right? Yes. <laughs> man, uh, I suck at that game, man. I'm so bad. I'm yeah, so I, bad. I'm that now. I was okay in high school. I was actually in a, um, I was in a competitive Quake clan for yeah. a little bit in high school. Yeah. Which clan? Uh, I can't say the name because it's not politically correct anymore. <laughs> but at the time, it was amazing. And... Um, 
And uh, we didn't have the best track record, but we had a lot of fun. So, <laughs> right. so yeah, I played uh, played the engineer class, right? It was like Team Fortress on top of Quake, right? The only okay. game that I could really get into that, that really just still has me to this day, and it's, it's a little embarrassing, but is Battlefront 2. Oh, that is a good game. It is a good That is a good, good game, game it, man. It so. got a lot of hate because, Why? you know, at the very beginning, because they did the pay, you know, I don't know. Oh, right? yeah. Because people don't like horse armor. No. You know, they don't want to pay for horse armor. <laughs> and now <laughs> they're on their phones. They're microtransacting every minute. <laughs> they're on Farmville. They're like, yeah, I need more whatevers. You're like, how else are my vegetables going to grow? <laughs> You're like... <laughs> I gotta get back in there. That game needs me. Yeah. So, anyways, like, so my whole method. So, internet at my house really sucks, and we always it's it's so bad. And so, what I have to do to peel myself away is I have to delete Battlefront Two. Yeah. Because it's gonna take a whole night to install. But every now and again, like if we, you know, I I set some little goals, you know, with Angie. Like if I'm like nice to the kids for like three days in a row. So you're still in this state where you're like already limiting yourself on video games. Yes, yes, totally. Totally. So, but I will say, like the other day, I just, I just had, I just had to delete it actually on Saturday. But dude, I schooled all of those little six-year-olds. Man, I was, oh my gosh, I did so good. I think I had, like, on that match. I had like 190 kills, and then the next best person was also on my team had like 140, and then on the other side they sucked, man. That's the best. I'm so yeah. I don't think I'm super skilled, but I just know the places, the spawn points, and so yeah. I usually go get a tank. Oh, well, if you know the map, you can. That goes a long way. So I feel yeah. like um, if you know the map, yeah. I feel like I I don't really get dedicated time at home to play video games, or maybe I. Better way to say it is I allocate that to other projects, but airplanes, like you get a portable, like a Steam Deck or something like that, mm-hmm. and you get on the airplane and you can just zone out because the internet connectivity on some of the flights is like good, but on other flights, it's like it's not even worth trying, mm-hmm. right? It's just like cuts in and out the whole time. And yeah, I'm I'm currently I'm working on uh, Tears of the Kingdom, right? Oh, no. oh, nice. Only on flights. Only on flights. Yeah. 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 Bryce, I do have to ask real quick. Yeah. And did you get into buying CSGO skins or like this is original Counter-Strike, right? That you yeah. would play. Yeah. Did they have skins? Well, they did, but I don't think they had like a whole like ecosystem where you could buy them. And I feel like the main purpose for skins was to cheat, right? Because like, because okay. you could apply skins, right? That I feel like may give you a tactical advantage on the map. Right. right? Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I I uh, may or may not had uh, you know some special capabilities that you know, in case <laughs> I needed to rage quit the game would cause everybody to quit out. And then I got about thirty seconds before the server figured it out, and I go around and frag everybody. And that made me feel great. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, due to uh, yeah yeah, you gotta be careful with your processing those those uh, skins. You know there could yeah, yeah. Be, it could be. It. Slight, uh, slight bug in there. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> then. So, so, okay. Anyways, that's a nice side quest, right? So you, you did, you were into computers a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you found that, oh, you know, these, 
I've got I've got some skills. So you didn't go into like building stuff. You're like, I could just like break a lot of stuff. So I start out, you start off and you break your dad's computer and you found a huge advantage there because, oh, dude, I broke something. I get free stuff. Yeah. And so then you go. That definitely probably was not setting me up for the best reward structure in life. <laughs> I don't know if you're reading a parenting book today, if they would say that was the way. To, but I think, it, you know, net effect was positive, right? Like I got, he got his own computer. I stayed away from that. I spent a lot of time on the computer, built up my skills. Just to be transparent, I, I really, as a kid, was not super future focused, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was just living in the moment for the most part. I never really even thought that there was even going to be careers like cybersecurity would be an industry and that I would be in it and that I'd be helping people secure their systems. It was mostly like video games, pranks, right? And just trying to figure out how stuff like that curiosity, the drive, like how does this work under the hood, right? Or if I do these tweaks, what can I get the operating system to do and things like that. So wasn't really until I got to grad school that I realized like, oh, wow, like, like this is, this is becoming a thing, right? Like there is an industry forming here and, um, and yeah, it's, it's been awesome to see it evolve over the years. So, yeah. Like, so you went in, so you went into grad school. So that's kind of future focused. I mean, you at least. Uh, oh, not at all. So <laughs> let me <laughs> <like, laughs> <like, laughs> right? So like I went to college, you know, you know, don't revoke my accreditation yeah. ever, but I didn't even really fill out the application. My mom did for college. <laughs> she did. She forged my signature on it yeah. and she submitted it. And then I got accepted. She's like, you're going. So I went off to college and I didn't take, I took virtually no generals and I didn't even know what a minor was. So I just signed up for all the computer classes, right? I just wanted to take all the computer classes. So by... I'd say mid of the junior year, I had completed and like aced all the computer classes, right? And then my counselor was like, like, you know, you got to do generals and get a minor to graduate. I was like, oh, dude, that's like, anyways, I did not want to do that. So I just asked him, I was like, how do I get out of here the fastest? Mm -hmm. Can you do some, can you dig in a little and just figure out what minor is going to get me out of here the fastest? And he came back. He's like, all right, I did some research. He's like, I'm just telling you right now, I do not recommend you do this. He's like, because this is the hardest like degree at our university. He's like, but technically, he's like, you could get a minor in accounting and get out of here for the fastest, right? I was like, done. I'm doing it, right? He's like, I really don't think you should do it. He's like, it's super hard. So um, I was one class away from double major with that accounting thing. I just cranked through that in the last year and a half. And uh, yeah, I think that was good. The only part that really kind of bummed me out is like my brother-in-law is a CFO. And when I got to the end, you know, I asked him, I was like, yeah, man, you know, the professors, they think I should go into being, you know, accounting and and do another year so I can get like CPA status. But, you know, I'm really, I'm into computers, so I don't think I'm going to do it. He's like, yeah, he's like, to be honest, he's like, you're not going to really do any of that work by hand ever again. You're just going to input all the financial data into software and it's going to calculate all that stuff for you. I'll be like, what did I do for the last two years? I was like, like, we could have just done it with a program. I was like, what? And when he said that, it was like, no, dude, computers is the way, right? I got to go there. So I guess the, the big thing was 
I didn't really realize I was graduating as quickly as I did. I was just trying to crank stuff out as fast as possible. And then when I got to the end, he's like, you know, my counselor's like, okay, so where have you been interning? What jobs have you been interviewing? And I was like, I have not done anything, man. I was like, I've done 0.0. And he was was like, all right, but you know, like you've got two more months, right? Like you got to do something. And I was like, well, what do you think? He's like, we could go to grad school. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I was like, you think I could get in? He was like, yeah, he was like, I could call a guy. He's like, I'd probably get you on the short list or whatever. So, so that's why I ended up, I ended up going to grad school mostly because I didn't really know what I was doing. Right. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. another two years, hopefully I'll have it figured out by then. So. I feel like I picked my career because I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we talked about it um, a couple, a couple weeks ago, but yeah, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was going through the motions at school. What do I need to do? What I, and I, all of a sudden I was married, I had a kid and I'm like, okay, well, I really like computers now, but I kind of stumbled onto it later because for you, for same, like I was like living in the moment, living in SoCal. Uh, how can I go surfing a lot and just like chill and just put my life on autopilot and live by the beach and just, you know, and so I liked history a lot. I liked reading a lot, you know, but in terms of actually doing school, school is just hard for me. You know, it's just like yeah. so hard for me to pay attention. And so sometimes I would take a test and I could do well. Um, but uh, someone said, oh, I really, you're really good with people. You should look into professional services. And so I took a job at PwC. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then I'm like, I don't know, like my first day, I'm like, dang, <laughs> what did they sign up for? Because I didn't really understand what we were doing. But And I here I am. I'm still in that industry, <laughs> kind of doing that same exact thing. But the thing that changed for me was, Hey, this sucks really bad. I hate this. I hate this like so, so much. And Angie would ask me like, well, what do you hate about it? I'm like, I don't know. It just generally hurts. I just, <laughs> like, I just like deep down in my soul, <laughs> I can like, feel the hurt. Yeah, yeah. It just, uh. and, but that was interesting because I started to focus on uh, what can I do to make it a little suck less? What can I do to make it better? And if it sucks for me, it, you know that it sucks for everyone else. There's no one else because like, oh, good. Let's do an audit. This is going to be fun, right? Or let's do compliance or let's do whatever it is. And uh, I started to focus in on solving those problems and using the skills that I did have to make it better and had little successes, little micro successes along the way and started to enjoy my career, actually, you know, doing that. So Kind of similar to you, I found myself in a great career, but it wasn't because I did any like real like planning or anything. It's just I kind of found myself in a place and I was stuck. I was stuck. I was in a place I didn't want to be, so I was stuck, right? And so how do you get out of there, right? So, yeah, yeah I think a lot of life is like using an analogy is kind of like you just you're trying to make the most of the cards you have in your hand, right? Like if you're playing poker. Or like another analogy, like, you know, a lot of times I feel like life is kind of like roulette, right? Like you lay down some chips on some numbers. You're like, I feel like these are going to work out well for me. And then it starts spinning, right? And then it's hands off. It's like, all right, I made some bets. Let's see where I land, right? So, and, uh, you know, I think generally speaking, you know, when you like 
lean into the future, right? You know, that's that's going to be a better bet. But, you know, you never know, right? It could have easily gone the other way. And even just, just to think about your career there at PwC, right? It's like if you would have just done one little thing differently and been like, you know, one degree different, right? Then the trajectory over time could have took you to a whole different place. Completely. And we wouldn't be here this podcast, you know? know and like, I'd be sad. I, I wouldn't know. even know why I'm sad. Me, yeah, me neither. <laughs> so no would be bad. eating at me, yeah. Uh, oh, it, it's it's phenomenal. Um, I like how you, you laid that out, kind of thinking in bets. There's this book by uh, someone called Annie Duke in, in her, okay. yeah, her book is called Thinking in Bets, and it starts out amazing. Uh, she says, uh, she's talking about the Super Bowl where, you know, uh, it's Seattle Seahawks versus the Patriots, and they're on the goal line, and Marshawn, you know, is they're like he, Marshawn couldn't be stopped, and uh, essentially that. And then Russell Wilson throws the goal line pass, and it gets intercepted. And everybody's like, huh. "Everybody's like, you're such an idiot, Pete Carroll." Like, oh my gosh, that is the absolute worst thing you could have done. But when you looked at the the numbers, it was just like an unlucky outcome because there there really weren't that many successful interceptions of the goal line. Someone just made a crazy good play. It was just really a fluke. And so, uh, you know, it, sometimes things happen, you know, based on, you know, the decisions you make. But over time, it's better to think in bets. Where are where are we going to be most successful? So so on that, so Bryce, uh, cyber, cyber is an area where today it's it's a booming industry. You can make a lot of money in cyber. You don't even have to be good. You know who you are. (laughs) You can make a lot of money. Right. So most people, you know, that are in cyber that have the skill set that you do, they they don't often choose to start their own security company because all the challenges. So why did you choose to start your own thing? It couldn't have been money. I, I don't think so. Maybe it was, but I don't know. You know, after going to grad school, successfully getting the MBA, right? So that I fully understand how poor my life decisions are. <laughs> I just decided, screw it. It's bucket list, man. Like, I'm not, you know, you only get one life, right? And you can't take the money with you, right? Even like the Jeff Bezos or like the Elon Musk of the world, yeah, we we're all going to end up in the dirt, right? So might as well make the most of it while we're here. And I honestly, I judge success, you know, money is an enabler. It enables me to do more things that I want to do, right? A hundred percent, right? So I need to keep growing the money to do more stuff that I want to do, right? But the gauge of success is not the money, right? The gauge of success is honestly, how how do I feel that my impact on this world is going to be, you know, like am I making the world a better place? Am I waking up every morning and helping people? Like, am I helping people be happier? Am I helping people sleep better at night? Am I helping people, like, by giving, you know, people out of college job opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have? And can I help people, you know, kind of get in good spots with their families or, you know, kind of grow their own personal lives? And that that's kind of like the mark of success for me is how, how much good am I kind of doing um, in the world, right? And right, obviously money is going to help me do more of that, right? Um, and obviously you got to make money to keep in business and keep growing. Sure. 
But ultimately, I I don't really care, right? Like if I die and I have a dollar to my name, but I helped like a ton of people, then that's awesome, right? Um, But I just see right now, like money's going to help me help more people, right? So it's kind of part of the overall strategy. But I, I totally, you know, can't take it with you, right? And so might as well invest it even if some of those investments are more or less risky. And I think a lot of people would say, you know, starting your own company is risky, right? Uh, I was looking at an article from Harvard Business Review the other day, actually on the flight back this weekend. And, you know, it's saying that 75% of startups fail, right? right? Mm -hmm. And then the other ones that they're defining as success, either get an exit or get an IPO, and I know a lot of friends that started things and took money from different investors that exits aren't always a win, right? So they're putting 25%, they're putting some percentage in that 25% bucket where I wouldn't really define it as a win, right? Maybe they get a little bit of money, but the investors are, are savvy. They know how to get their money back, right? That's right. So I, and they should, right? They're assuming most of the risk, right? Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, you're also putting your life into it as kind of like the founder, right? Yeah. And so really, I just saw an opportunity to be able to help more people. Um, so that's why I started Stage 2 Security, right? And honestly, I thought it was going to be a small pen testing shop. Like we're going to be, I told the initial guys that came on board, like we're going to be like a five person pen testing shop. It's going to be great. We're just going to have a ton of fun and we're going to hack stuff. And before like one year was over, we had like over 20 employees. Whoa. Right. And we just like, kept growing right and i i don't know honestly to be transparent if i was even though i had an mba and it was what i wanted to do and i wanted to help people i don't know if like i was like prepared for it at all right and so i i definitely didn't make like all the perfect decisions but overall i just tried to come back to the founding principle which is you know am i helping people like am i helping the clients am i helping the team and if so, then I'm going to call it a win, even if, you know, there's not much money in the bank today. Right. So, whoa, man, I got yeah. chills a couple of times, honestly, Bryce. I, that's that's real. I had never heard that from you, but that's awesome. Way to go. Right on. That's Thanks. awesome. Yeah, I don't, I don't share it a lot. Yeah, and I'm yeah. really hoping that that heart moving speech will get me some points. For yeah, and it will. That's at least three to four points. Three to four points? That's solid. That's like, I bear my heart and soul, and I got four, three to four points. So we have zero. Okay. Oh, okay. That's zero. true. That's so true. That's pretty Kenny, cool. Kenny should get some points, too, though, because okay. he, he did a good job with, like, the whole, like, backstory, PWC. Ooh, you're right. So, yeah. Okay. All right. I appreciate I appreciate you hooking him up. Yeah. Okay, man. So you, 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 you mentioned... And even if there's not a lot of money in the account, so there's a ton of challenges with going and doing this, you get going, setting off on your mission to like to help people and to to give people experience in in cyber. So, what are some of recount some of those like real big challenges with like starting the business? You know, yeah, and I'll just, maybe if you continue to have them, what are some of those? Yeah, I I think I ran into a lot of challenges, and I'm sure these aren't like super unique, but um. It takes a lot of capital to grow, right? I don't think a lot of people realize when you grow at the rate that we were growing and you have no VC funding, you're doing this all bootstrapped, right? So um, I was. So, I mean, it just takes a lot of money. Like even 
you know, let's say you have a consultant and they do 30 days of work and then maybe you have like net 60 terms, right? You're looking at 90 days before the first payment comes back around, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to be floating payroll and benefits and all the rest of the stuff for that, which is okay if you're growing at a slow pace, but you know, we were not growing at a slow pace. We were rapidly growing. Um, so the, you know, there's definitely one time where we got in a jam. Like I was, I had never missed, out. it was about a year and a half in and I had never missed payroll once, right? Never been late on the payroll, never missed it. I knew that people were depending on it. Like they have mortgages they got to pay. They got families they got to feed. And I, you know, I, you know, I told them if they came on board that I would take care of them. Right. But I, I just remember looking at the bank account once and being like, I'm 80 K short. Right. And I got wow. two days, I got 48 hours and I got to come up with the 80 K. I'd already put all the money that I had in. Right. And banks, because we didn't, we were only like a year and a half in, banks aren't really going to lend you money, yeah. right? They won't give yeah. you a lot of credit. They're like, it's too new, right? You need at least two years of financials before they even give you the time of day. And but you're a year and a half in. Yeah, yeah. So and I have two years. Yeah, and I needed to come up with 80K, right? In 48 hours, right? So, you know, I went to some of the founders on the team and I just explained the situation. I was like, hey man, like, we're, we're not, you know, um, like we're not gonna hit payroll, man. Like there's no way. And one of the guys on the team was, you know, he's like, Hey, what about like this thing? I bet we could sell that to this client and I bet we could make more than 80 K. And I was like, you think we do that 48 hours? And he was like, it's worth a shot. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I went out there and I hit the, you know, hit the road and, uh, yeah, 24 hours later, we made over $100,000. We hit payroll hey. and we never looked back. So, I mean, I'm eternally grateful for everything that, for one, just people trusting me and coming on board. And two, like all the sacrifices that people made. Because I, I know other people make sacrifices too to build the company. Uh, it's not just me. So, so and I honestly, you know, especially a lot of the people came on early on, like the company would definitely would not be where it is today without them. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome, Bryce. Dang. So hugely successful, never looked back. Uh, you merged with, you, you merged with other awesome companies. And so now you're ultraviolet, right? So, yes. So, yeah. So why do customers choose ultraviolet? You got a lot of competition. So why do they tend to go with you. Yeah. So I think people like ultraviolet for a couple of reasons. One is we still have a really strong culture and our culture is very much on the, we want to be the best from a technical perspective. Right. And we also want to stay focused on our clients, concerns and interests. Right. So, so if you come to us and you see our solution and you're like, hey, that's cool, but that's not really the way we operate here. Like we like to do it a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. We're not like the other vendors where we're like, oh, okay, I guess you're not gonna work out because we have this, you know, square peg round hole type solution. We're like, yeah, that's no problem, right? Like we'll get some of our dedicated defense engineers. They're gonna come down. They're gonna help tailor either the solution or your systems to help get this integrated. And then it's, it's, we, we've tried really hard, especially on the offensive side 
to be an extension of the existing company's team, right? So we open up real-time communication with us. So, I mean, if you bought a pen test with us nine months ago, you could still today just jump back in the channel, ask us any questions that you want about it. Say like, hey, I need like a retest or, you know, things that are beyond the scope of the original statement of work. As long as they're like, you know, reasonable, we're totally happy to help, right? Ultraviolet is 100% cybersecurity. If it's not cybersecurity, we don't want to be in that line of business. And the people that come to our company and stay to that comp- our company are people that they want to be with, uh, you know, they want to be with a peer group, right? That's also pushing themselves. Uh, we've recently implemented a upskilling program where individuals can go into a portal, deploy, deploy a custom lab environment, and they, if they complete challenges, they can earn a badge. And then everybody can see everybody else's badges, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, rapidly this becomes... You know, uh, you know, a thing about, you know, accomplishment. Yes. Yeah. Gamification. Yes. Making exactly. it, making it awesome. Well, also being fun. Yeah. Right. Being so, fun, right. Yeah. And it's it's your mission, right? So tying people to a mission is a is really impactful. You get people that care. They have skin in the game. That's awesome. You so Bryce, uh, you mentioned something in there. You said like, well, nine months later. You know, they can hop back into the channel. You're going to continuously help them. So this is actually important because we're moving away slowly, probably too slow, in my opinion, from this point in time check, which is almost useless, right? Because the way that things change. So now there's this continuous threat exposure management that is really coming into the fray. So I know that that's something you're passionate about. Yeah. I've talked a little bit about it. So what's changing now? Yeah. So playback type pen tests are great for, to me, that's the bare minimum, right? To get a sticker, to get compliance. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, when the auditors come through, everything looks cool, right? But it lists, I mean, a lot of the realities is the moment that the pen test is over, you know, engineer spins up a database, puts a weak password on it and makes it internet facing and you have a breach, right? Mm-hmm. And- no one knows until the attacker emails you and asks for a ransom, right? I mean, no one, it's no one knows. Serious stuff, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I mean, I think we've all seen with recent breaches in you know the Vegas area, right? <laughs> that that's not a situation any of us want to be in, right? You got to make some really hard calls. So what we do is we say, okay, I get it. You got to have your compliance, and we want to help you have your compliance. And you're probably already using us for your pen tests, right? And your compliance uh, to me those requirements, but let's just let us keep testing your systems afterwards, right? Like we're going to look at your full exposure, whether it's internal, whether it's external, we can even throw in social engineering, which is a little more advanced than the other, you know, phishing solutions out there uh, for multiple reasons. You know, I know the rumor is, you know, that MGM hack happened because someone called up the IT help desk and got them to reset the MFA, right? I mean, that's something that our, Employees love doing, right? They absolutely <laughs> love social engineering, yes. right? So let us find those critical and high vulnerability points, whether they're human or whether they're technology. And let's do that continuously as your systems change. And then we can help you, right? We're greatly reduce the chance of being breached, right? Uh, and, and another thing is like, it drives me, Nuts. It drives yes. me crazy. Let's I've been, I, I've been, so it, 
so that you understand my background, right? I used to run the SOC at Homeland Security, right? For their unclassified network. So, and I was over incident response and focus operations, which is kind of like their advanced hunt function where they're hunting down APTs and strategically removing them from the network. And it just drives me crazy because even like my first day on that job, I logged into the SIM that they had at the time. And there's just an overwhelming number of notables, like of things for people to follow up with. And like we had a SOC that was 24 to 7. It had over 50 analysts. Then we had another engineering team on top of that. And this is back in the day, right? Um, and there's still no way that they could triage all those, right? There's zero chance. And so the first thing I told them is I said, hey, man, if it's not a high or a critical, right? Like if we're not really going to get breached, you know, then don't focus your time on it, right? Because that's the stuff that the CISOs got to go to Congress and report on is when we get breached, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to stop that stuff as soon as possible. And so we re-engineered our processes. We re-engineered our workflows. And now skip forward, it's like virtually, I don't know, like 20 years later. And I see organizations have the exact same problem. Like go to organizations all the time and their security teams are inundated with notables and security alerts. And they're like, well, we got to follow up with this because whatever. And I, I, it drives me crazy. So the one thing that we're trying to do with our continuous exposure management solution is we want to take some of that off our individual's plate. We want to use some of our advanced technologies that we've built out, which out of AT is like buzzwords, but kind of use AI, AI and ML yeah. to prioritize the things that, you know, you should be looked at. So let's say, you know, you have a CSPM tool and let's say you have like a vulnerability scanning tool. Mm-hmm. Instead of just letting all those findings sit there and not do anything, send them into our system, right? People send them into our system then our system prioritizes them, right? It has a bunch of automations to help vet things and close out false positives automatically. And then it goes over to our team of experts, right? Which are very acquainted with breaching systems. Mm-hmm. And they quickly sort out, which of these do you actually need to fix? You need to fix like right now. Yeah, and which of these can you just let go, Yeah, right? just let them go. Yeah, so I feel like we're helping a lot of clients today, you know, 10x or more their productivity, right? Because they're able to focus on the things that actually matter, right? Tell me a little bit more about how AI and ML work together to like enhance red teaming. So yeah, so tell me a little more about that. So yeah, luckily we've been really well pre-positioned here. Whenever we've done engagements, we've used very structured routines, uh, like infrastructure as code. And we've been collecting uh, telemetry on all of our red teaming engagements, right? Mostly so that, you know, we could help automate things, right? In our microservice-based platform that we kind of use for that continuous exposure management. But, and and also just so that we could kind of get some key metrics and, and improve operations. But now that we have all this data sitting in a data lake and we have new features out there, like we have, you know, Lane chain that's able to build kind of your custom agents that's able to go through and kind of parse out the data. Now we can start to take common questions, right? That a red teamer might ask and then have the AI solution, right? Do a lot of the legwork, right? That makes and, sense. and what one thing that we really like Give to him do five points for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Five points. Oh, yeah. I'll go with 4.5. Okay, 4.5. I'll take I'll take it. I'll take a 4.5. All right. 
But one thing we really like to do is we like to steel man the case for something and steel man the case against something. So, so we use the data that's already in the data lake, uh, which is like your common pen test data, your scan data, your vulnerability data, operating system data. And then we like to say, you know, one, tell me as an attacker from your AI standpoint, right? What, how you would breach into this, right? And then, you know, tell me as from a defender how that would be detected, right? And then, and then also say like, steel man the case that this specific thing is ex actually exploitable and then steel man the case against it being exploitable. And then all that data is already available when our red teamer log logs in, right? And he could quickly review it and say like, ah, oh, I've seen this before, right? It kind of falls in this category or no, that's, you know, this is new. I need to do more digging into this. And then that data on the way he responds to that kind of notable gets fed back into the engine. And so the system gets smarter. The next time it sees something similar, it's like, oh, red teamers, you know, the last five times all did the same thing, right? And, but using the data that we've already collected in, in the data lake and, and some of our advanced like red teaming tools. So, um, so I, you know, and I'm really excited about it. Like we're, we're leaning all in on it. Any, anywhere that we can leverage, you know, the latest technology, right, is, is going to help us hopefully prevent a breach before that happens to our clients, right? right. And so the attackers, they're not sitting around not doing anything. Yeah, they're they're, they're seeing the, you know, the chat GPT revolution as well, right? Yeah. And they're leaning in, right? So as red yeah. teamers, we got to be one step ahead of them. And I mean, our red team, we do a lot of things that I don't think that aren't, you know, they're not secrets, right? But mm -hmm. we don't see, we don't see ransomware groups doing yet, right? Mm -hmm. We don't see cyber criminals or even sometimes nation states doing yet. But typically the lifestyle is about 24 months. We start doing something and then and 24 months later, doing it. it's everywhere, right? Yeah. And everybody, all the attackers have figured it out and figured out, oh man, this is effective, right? For the clients that we already have on our platform that we're continually testing, they already know about it. They've been able to get it into the roadmap and they've been able to get it fixed, right? Yeah. So I think that's part of the real value added there is just, you know, our, if as we lean in on the innovation, our clients can take advantage of that as well. Well, it sounds like you have an amazing client base because they're, they're, yeah. they're <laughs> it sounds like well, they're, they're into this progressive approach, which you, you need to be progressive in cyber. Yeah. You need to be continuously changing and updating how you're doing it versus, you know, those who don't care, who just want some sort of sticker outcome compliance. So I don't know. Like, I assume that those aren't the clients that you're getting. They just want no, a sticker. Right? We, we don't do so well in the, I just want the check box, like the box checked type client. Like, honestly, we don't win a lot of those deals. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happens is typically, not to be mean, but typically those orgs have some type of security incident. The new management gets hired, new management rolls in and says, we got to actually start doing cybersecurity here, guys. Yeah. Right? And then there you're like, all right, we're going to pull Ultraviolet in, right? We're yeah. going to pull Bryce's crew in yeah. and we're going to get ground truth. Like you say that SOC will detect this. Let's see. Let's right? See. You know? And- the thing is, I, I, I try to reemphasize with all the clients, like we're collaborative by default, right? If you want us to be like black box sneaky, sure, we can do that.
But by default, we want to be collaborative with your organization. We want to have trusted agents in there that know what we're doing. And most of all, we want to make sure you guys actually make the changes because the only way that we're going to be able to continue to innovate is if organizations continue to challenge us. And if organizations don't fix their stuff, it's not going to challenge us. We'll just keep doing the same stuff over and over, right? So from my standpoint, it's a win-win when organizations make meaningful change, right? When they really focus on those highs and criticals, they weed them out of their organization and they significantly reduce their overall risk, right? And then I know know you guys at Paramify, you guys are really, uh, you're really helping, you're trying to help or you guys are helping clients reduce their risk as well, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys are taking a lot of, the one thing that I really like about the Paramify platform, right, is just how much it reduces your load when you're doing documentation. I'm going to tell you all a secret right now. I don't want to leave the room. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> okay. It leaves. It might. It might. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So originally when I was like caught in grad school, I was going to get an internship and I had an awesome internship lined up in the intelligence community. I Meaning it was like super cool. Right. And they were only going to pick two people for it. And I was one of the two people. Right. Unfortunately, as part of my background investigation, people found out that, you know, I kind of operate in the gray area at times, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing bad, right? Nothing like evil, right? Yeah. But, you know, I, was, I wasn't thinking about the future. Like I said before, I was just kind of living in the moment more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I was doing stuff that was fun, right? Um, and so, you know, at the last minute, they said, sorry, uh, you need to take a couple of years, you know, kind of get more aligned with the clearance processes and then, you know, come back. Right. So the, um, so I was scrambling to get an internship. Right. And my buddy was like, Oh, I work at this large government organization. Right. And he was like, we don't have anybody that really knows cybersecurity. And we got a lot of cybersecurity work. So he's like, why don't you guys just come do an internship for us? And I was like, okay, sweet, whatever. I'll come do the internship, right? Fine. <laughs> so the first day I show up, and I kid you not, I don't even know what I'm doing on this internship, right? <laughs> I get my badge. They take me in a small windowless room. Oh, well, actually, no. that's not true. It had a window, but because they had retrofitted the building... <laughs> And the window faced bricks. And they built another building. And so you can open the window and touch the bricks on the other side. Oh, man. Oh. And then they're like, okay, we're going to bring in some security documentation, and we just want you to review it. And that's the internship. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. You know, I, I have no money, right? I'm just grateful I have an internship at all, right? <laughs> After the whole other thing blew up, I thought I was sitting around doing nothing that summer. Major PTSD right now, man. <laughs> Just review all the security documents. Oh my gosh. No joke. They, what are those things called that move refrigerators? Fork, forklift? Forklift? Yeah. They, next thing I know, they wheel in a forklift. It's filled to the top <laughs> with documentation, printed documentation. And they put it in the corner. And I'm like, okay, so you just want me to go through that? And they're like, no, that's just the first load. And then they proceed to bring in five more loads of this. And so there's like six stacks of this documentation that's taller than me. And they want me to read all the documentation and then summarize in a one-page letter 
whether they should approve the system, like, you know, an ATO, like approval to operate or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did the entire summer was read documentation and write one page summaries on it. And it was mind boggling. So, and I wish that's changed, but it really hasn't. I wish it had to. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything that talks to Nippernet has the ATO. Yeah. Literally everything. And yep. so when I was talking to my friend who's, yeah, he's he's part of the uh uh he's part of the uh, one of the APT teams for Air Force, right? He was like saying, Man, a lot of stuff we just do on my our own computer, right? Because and we'd like to have a server, but we just don't do that because we know we have to go through ATO if we if we <laughs> you know, but there's gotta be that's exactly where we're focused. There's got to be a way yeah. to make that process way easier. Yeah. There's a way to do it, and, and there is. Yeah. And so. Yeah. yeah. And so I appreciate you guys at Pramify yeah. tackling that problem. So that hopefully future Bryce out there doesn't have to spend his internship reviewing all that documentation. <laughs> and, um, you know, overall, like, I get the core essence of what they're going for mm -hmm. and the importance of it. Yeah. And it, it's imp it's important to know your information systems. It's important to know your major applications. It's, you know, your general support systems. You you do need to know them, right? Um, you know, but I, and I feel like there's been a lot of attempts to make this process better, but they've just been, they've been so hard to swallow, right? Like, um, I'm not going to name the current thing, but it's just, it's so... It's so difficult, man. Even me as a cybersecurity expert that's been doing this since I was like in elementary school. Like, it's just, I mean, even when I take the documentation, feed it to ChatGPT and have it try to summarize it, it's still, it's too much, man. <laughs> like, we gotta, we gotta simplify, right? And we gotta focus, right? So, yeah, um, that's one of the things I learned uh, early on in my career, right? Is if you can... Simplify the operations if you can focus, right? Less is definitely more. Um, so you can't, you cannot defend a network, right? That just is, you know, like a, like an endless sprawling spider web of interconnections, right? It's, 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 it's really hard to defend that network. But, you know, if you focus, you route your traffic through specific policy enforcement points, you, focus on the endpoint, what's important there. And then you focus on making your documentation of those systems meaningful and not wasting your time on, you know, writing millions of pages of documents, right? That some intern's gonna go read and that's it, right? And yeah. summarize back into a one pager. And then it's not true. Like as soon as soon as you document everything like that, you know, the only thing that's true is the date that you reviewed it. Because everything, a lot of things have changed. Not everything. Yeah. There's a lot of evolution. Like you said, as once you do the, the pen test, as soon as you've done that, someone's going to spin up an internet facing database that, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's Whatever the so breach hard. is. So what's good is today we do have mechanisms that can help make that a lot, a lot better. So that's what we're focused on taking advantage of. Okay. All right, Bryce. Um, okay. Couple questions, man. Yeah, go. Uh, a couple sure. questions. Sure. Yeah. I'm I'm dying to earn some more points. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just say that was like five points. Oh! <laughs>
We need a scoreboard yeah. up in here, man. Okay. Okay. Just, just factor. Next time I come, I'm gonna score. Yeah, we'll like a little count. You know, like, all right. Yeah, you know. Okay. Like a basketball scoreboard, you know. All right, dude. It's time. It's time for you to tee off. Okay. Okay. Some of your favorite security fails that you can talk about. Oh well. Okay. I'm just gonna talk about things that are public, right? Because <laughs> I feel like that's the safest. <laughs> but I think, okay, not the current Vegas hacks, right? But if we're calling back, if you go, I think it's like 2017-ish, a casino got totally hacked. From a fish tank? Fish tank, yes, exactly! <laughs> fish right. tank! That's and right. I'm not gonna say anything, but a lot of our clients have something very similar, where they're just like, have some random remote site and you can jump a fence or you can walk over it and you jack in and you're you're, you're on the layers network. deep in the network you know you're past all those policy enforcement points and you're to the good <laughs> stuff right it's like that m m you're already in the you're past that hard shell and you're in the good stuff in the middle the chocolate <laughs> yeah. so i you know i and i think that just got to go down as like hilarious fail number one the fish take the fish take right <laughs> remember that yeah yeah what about overreactions to things that were ultimately not that important dude there's so many overreactions right. as an industry or like so many times companies issue statements and the statements are either too vague and which infuriates the public right or like in my opinion sometimes too specific to the point where they're tipping their hand to the attacker, right? Like you don't want the attacker to really know what your current status is on the incident response process, or you probably don't even really want them to know that you pulled in an outside firm, right? And uh, yeah, I, I, there's some good examples. I just, they're not public yet. Yeah, so yeah. I, um, so I just, uh, the, um, you really want to tread lightly. Cause if the attackers find out who's doing incident response on your behalf, they could also become a target, right? Mm-hmm. We have seen yeah. security firms get breached, right? By by many attacking groups over the years. Um, and I think it, it's a folly to say that like any organization is so perfect that it's not gonna befall a breach. I mean, at the core of it, I mean, you've got like the Snowdens of the world that are gonna jam stuff on, you know, drives and walk out of your org with it, right? And then, you know, it. It doesn't, it honestly doesn't take that much. If you're, if you're trying to be on the, you know, if you're trying to be competitive in the commercial market, right, you're going to assume some risk as part of your operation, which is going to usually enable the attackers to get, to have a leg up. And, and I really want to, the one thing that I really feel like, or is a fallacy is everybody looks at everybody else and they think the grass is greener, right? Mm -hmm. To like, uh, like if you're in tech and you're like, oh, if I went over to, you know, the financial companies, then, you know, they wouldn't be dealing with any of this nonsense because their systems are locked down. Right. And that the reality is, yeah, maybe you're not dealing with that specific nonsense, but you'll be dealing with a totally different, different nonsense, nonsense, which is also still vitally important to the organization. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of crypto exchanges and a lot of financial institutions targeted by attackers because it it makes a lot of financial sense, right? Like if you can, you know, breach a organization, there's a lot of funds moving in it through it each day, right? I mean, 
you can buy a lot of O days for that amount of money that you're stealing, right? So, and I think the other thing that I just got to say on the O day topic is people are so naive, like so naive, right? They're like, oh, O days, that's like magic sauce that like only like government hackers are going to get access to, right? No, man, anybody who's got enough money can get their hands on a bunch of O days, right? Mm -hmm. And whether that's, you know, whether that's a group like, like a LulzSec type group or whatnot, where, or a Lapis type group where they're, they go and they work their way up the ecosystem, right? They'll go and they'll breach a company and they'll say, hey, give me this ransom or I'm going public and the company will pay them. And then they'll breach another company and they're happy to take that cryptocurrency off their hands, which enables them to get more access, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's. It's a tough world. And, mm -hmm. you know, people are like, well, I can't do anything about the zero day threat. So I should just ignore it and do nothing. Yeah. Right. Like that's the that's the implied part of the conversation. But the reality is. The way that you. Combat the O-Day threat is you do the try and true. You do the defense in depth. Right. You don't just assume like you assume that any workstation that can talk out to the Internet. Like, let's just think about this concept for a minute, right? You open your web browser. What does your web browser do? It runs code that it pulls from the internet, right? Fundamentally, it takes untrusted code and it runs it on your computer to give you that nice interactive yeah. session. If there's a vulnerability, and they're always pushing new features, so people always want a better experience. Yeah. So if an attacker figures out a way to exploit that endpoint, either through the browser or a number of other mechanisms, right? You've got to assume that something's going to get breached. And then the question is, when a system gets breached, what other countermeasures do you have in place? And I do, I do feel like that's one area that I'd like about the certification approaches is they make you step back and look at your overall architectures more. Right. And I just wish that there was more industry certifications, right? That like, verified that you've you've ended you've implemented that and that you've implemented that on more like a continuous like type system right because maybe you have a third-party auditor come in and he says yeah the design the architecture looks good um but you know the reality is i've been on so many engagements where the architecture looks great the implementation had like one fatal flaw right it was like yeah the day off the auditors left uh, we need to debug a networking issue. So we just, you know, threw up a server, put a couple of NICs in it, and now it's connected to both segments of it, the network or whatever, right? And that server gets popped and the whole, your all your security controls are like invalidated. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because you got in. Yeah. So you have all these layers that you need to implement. It's so difficult. I think uh, one of the challenges, like I, I, the way that you're explaining how to handle it is so pragmatic versus what sometimes what we hear from the security community, which is alarmist. And I think that tends to turn people off yeah. from security and they just go, oh, like, yeah, those people are crazy, right? Even if they are correct, right? And the, But there is the naivete, right? And also, like, because I haven't been breached yet or I haven't specifically faced a, you know, I've never been a part of, like, a ransomware attack. So therefore, I don't know, and therefore, I don't care about it. And so the challenge is on security professionals to articulate why it's important and in a pragmatic way how you can handle it. Don't worry. Uh, 
But yeah, they definitely, in order, they only care about it if they pay for it, if they give, you know, the money that's needed to do it correctly. So it is so, it's just kind of a constant challenge to, to, to raise awareness yeah. <laughs> so that they understand that these are things that we absolutely need to implement. But yeah, yeah, it's really hard to get that executive buy-in, right? And it's, it's sadly, it's a lot easier after they've experienced a breach or a ransomware scenario, right? So, but, you know, I, I don't want people to have to go through that, right? Like I've, you know, I've worked a lot of really sophisticated incidents and I mean, the attackers, they're, you know, they're out there to win as well. Right. And if they're financially motivated, that means maybe, you know, let's just throw out like crazy scenario. Like, let's say U.S. government says it's now illegal for you to pay anyone who pays a ransom. Right. Or you cannot pay the ransoms. Right. They just outlaw it in all associated loopholes. Right. So ransomware operators, they no longer can get ransomware payments from you. I don't think that's really going to happen. Right. But they're financially motivated, man. They're going to figure out another way to monetize their access in your network. Right. Today. Yeah. It's going to be ransomware because that's the easiest way to win. But tomorrow, even if you somehow solve the ransomware problem, they're still going to figure out a way to monetize you. Right. I mean, there's some incredibly smart. I don't know if smart, but yeah, incredibly smart attacking groups out there that come up with schemes that are really cool. Right. Like, like. There's a group and all they did was hack orgs, which prepared financial statements for other companies. So they would get first mover advantage on all the latest quarterly file reportings. They would know them before they're public. And these guys made millions, right? And they sold the info to stock traders, right? And they paid millions for it too, right? Everybody got rich. they put... Yeah, and they tell all those. Yeah, you. That's it's crazy. so interesting. The options market is so interesting. Yeah, you know, right before. Oh yeah, you you know this yeah. market yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so tell me how I do this without. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a such a funny thing. What was the come? Oh yeah, someone knew about the Splunk. You know. Purchase, oh yeah, right? and you could see like someone went crazy on crazy out right. of the money yeah. calls. Right, just tons. They just made millions right and second they had to have known something so it's you know not i'm not saying that like who knows for sure it's like speculating but it's like it's so crazy the sophistication of yeah this operation yeah i think the netflix one just went public right, right. Uh, with the filings where employees because netflix has a real open culture uh so they have like you know daily active user and other metrics uh that employees were privy to so employees were giving that data to other people to trade, right? Pre, you know, the financials coming out. Because they can't trade. They can't, they can't, they can't trade it. So it's like, oh, no one will know if this person is associated with me. Yeah. I think they, the SEC said they got busted because statistically they just traded too well overall. Right. Which, you know, I I don't know. Well, you know, sometimes people say stuff and yeah, it may or may not be accurate. Right. So I... A lot of times in scenarios, you don't want to reveal tradecraft, right? So um, so maybe that's accurate. Maybe it's not. But either way, I mean, there's definitely people out there that are figuring out ways to monetize the data. And I don't, I don't even think we've, like, honestly, we have not even 
got to the tip of the iceberg yet on ways to monetize this data. Um, like I've done brainstorming sessions with my peer groups and like, there's a lot more ways to, which I'm not going to name here, but there's a lot more ways to monetize these accesses than what the attackers are currently doing. And, uh, and we're just going to see more of that. Right. So if, if the existing stuff gets shut down, which I do think that policymakers are going to do a couple different things, which are going to reduce ransomware, but still it will continue to live on. I mean, they're going to figure out, they're going to evolve as well. So it's always that cat and mouse, right? So, um, well, it sounds, sounds awesome. I love what you talked about, about the pragmatic approaches to implementing CTEM. I love that. Yeah. Um, super awesome. Talking about how we need to be thinking about AI. Okay. Next question. Okay. In the fellowship, who's your favorite character? <laughs> like Lord of the Rings? That's what right. talking about. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, first off, I got to say, before I answer the question, the Lego Lord of the Rings set that they just dropped, like, amazing. Like, have you seen the, de- the yeah, the Rivendell. Rivendell. Have you seen the details on the tiling of the yep. roof? Yes, I it's have. It's just unbelievable. Yes. That is by far the coolest Lego set I've seen in a long time. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I like the lion, the lion castle too, but that, that's, <laughs> that's good. So, um... <laughs> You know who I, you know who I really like, and I'm not like I'm not like a super Lord of the Rings fan. Um, is I really like the. You can just name generally, and we'll help you. Or yeah, I'll help you. I like I, I like the what's the dwarf's name, right? That's kind of oh, like right. friends with the river elf type guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, Legolas, so Legolas's is friend. Yeah, Legolas' name. Friend. Oh, I can't think of the, the dwarf guy. Yeah, the, you know? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Gimli. Gimli, there we go. Ah, we got a real fan go. over in the room. Yeah. Give him some points. Yeah. Russ, yeah. 20 <laughs> points, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was the new thing that came out? Oh, Amazon Prime had a series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they kind of had some interaction yeah. with them. Lady Glenn. And, and oh, I, yeah. I just thought it was good. Like, I like, I like, you know, it's very relatable the way that they operate, right? Like, I can see a lot of my past interactions, like, like coming out, like, he wants to help his friend, but he also wants to like stay loyal to like mm-hmm. his fa- family and the community that's built him. And but he also he wants to he wants to take a like, he wants to make a name for himself, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. want to just be known as like dad's son or whatever, right? Oh. He wants to take some risk. And you're talking about a seal door. Yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know his name. Let's just be yeah. honest. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. I I I really like that like- aspect of it. Uh, and I and I just yeah, and I I just like the. You know, one thing that I really like is just grit. I like people that have grit. Like people that wake up every morning and they stare down and they go, yeah, this isn't going to be easy, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to do it, right? And then whatever comes in my way, I'm going to make it happen. So, and I feel like that's kind of like the dwarven spirit in an essence, right? They're like, yeah, there's a whole mountain. Let's bore a hole in it. Let's bore a hole in it. Yeah, like we got amazing things. Yeah. What about yourself? What What's your favorite? Yeah, I would say Aragorn. Okay. Like, just because, like, that's the obvious. It's probably the easiest. I like Sam. Sam is, like, runner-up. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. a lot of grit, too. Yeah. And he's got, he's like, hell, but just Aragorn is just like, man, when I was little. Classic. I remember reading the books with my dad, and they, they called him Strider, and then reading the letter, and, like, his true name is Aragorn, and I'm like, <laughs> I just, no, I used to, this it, is it part of our, it was part of growing up for us, for me and me and my brother. 
we played The War in Middle Earth on uh, Apple II GS. I still remember all the songs. I still remember, like, you just got to play it out, right? Like, so no, was, no, Lord of the Rings is huge for me. It's really important. But yeah, Aragorn. I mean, I'm just going to go with, like, the popular answer. You know, yeah. he's the best. What do you go with, Jason? Man, I, I like Legolas. I, I always thought he was yeah. cool. I mean, it's been forever since I've, I've seen the show, right? Yeah, I always cool, just remember The way he Legolas. mounts a horse. Yeah. <laughs> so far. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh, I know this is off topic, but did you guys see that Turtles movie? Not yet. Isn't it good? It's got a super fly. I, I really liked it. Okay, I man. It was really good. So oh. I've. I know, like, I have committed to memory, so I have that kind of brain, right? Like, where I can remember all the lyrics, like, all of the lyrics from songs. I can remember all the, each line. Ninja Turtles 1 and Ninja Turtles 2 had my whole heart when I was growing up, man. The yeah. Secret of the Ooze. And, like, I can, yeah, I just I just remember Raphael being so upset that he lost his sigh. He yeah. profanity to explain it. And I was just, like, little. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, am I allowed to say that? He lost his sigh. Oh my gosh, dude, Raphael. And then Splinter just commanded to that's leadership right there. Raphael, let it go. You know, <laughs> you know he's just my uh my oldest daughter, she she really likes the Back to the Future movie. Mm, and then awesome. my youngest daughter, there's quite a span. There's like almost a 10-year span between the two, right? So she was watching it and they're watching it together. And then the like the end of number one, Back to the Future, with like the lightning strikes, and then yes. the doctor is like um, using profanity, right? <laughs> and then my youngest, she just starts saying it too, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, then she runs yeah. in the kitchen and starts saying it to mom. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, now we can't even watch Back to the Future. Like, you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Back to the Future, man. Like, that is also part of like the Scott lore. Mm-hmm. And I, like, we've all watched it, right? Like, oh man, so good. It's so yeah, I they're just so plaque those server. classic movies. Do you have a Plex server? Yeah, I have a Plex server, and so we have a. What's lot that? Of... Tell me more about it. Plex. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of movies that are great that you'll never hear about. What's a movie that uh, that we don't know about it that we need to see? What's the most obscure movie that? Oh man. Never mind. Maybe, yeah, that's like gonna be a long conversation. <laughs> so, I uh, have you seen Port of Shadows? Nope. No, do I need that? to? That's awesome. Okay, I'll send you, I'll send you a list, man. Like, okay, there's a lot of these weird films that I don't, I don't know, I don't want to say they're weird, they're but uh, I guess they're not like mainstream, mainstream. not all yeah. of them are mainstream, or like things you would encounter unless you're kind of so. I look, I really love film. Right. Yeah. Did you uh, see that new one that came out? That new sci-fi. I haven't. About no, no, no. Creator. I haven't seen that one yet. But oh, it's on the list. list. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's excellent. We should go. We should go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. You want to go? Yes. Let's go. Let's do it. Creator. Let's do it. Yeah. That one. That one looks cool. I watched um, Robots on Hulu. Right. I just wrapped that up this morning. Uh, that's that was pretty funny. It's kind of like a rom com, right? But <laughs> it's also got like a future element where okay, I, spoiler alert for anyone who wants not to be spoiled. Maybe skip ahead like thirty seconds or whatever. This is your warning right now because yeah. it's gonna get spoiled now. Okay, all right, all right. So, so there's a guy and he makes a robot that looks exactly like himself, right? Okay. And so then he sends that robot out in the real world to basically get him dates. 
right? Like that's like that's his master plan is I built a robot that looks just like me and he will go get me dates, right? But on one of these date, one of these outings to get a date, he falls for this girl, right? The robot does. Oh, but then it turns out that girl is the exact same thing as also a robot, which another girl sends out and built to scam guys into buying her like Prada bags, which she goes and like sells at the pawn store or whatever to pay rent. So like, it's like total like catfish, catfish scenario. And the robots realize both of their like human masters are like not good. And they're like, they just peace out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the movie is like those two humans trying to get their robots back because okay. this is like illegal, right? You can't build yeah. a robot that looks exactly like you and have them impersonate you. That's um, amazing. Yeah, and it's really funny. It's like a funny rom-com, but also futuristic. I, I really enjoyed it. And I know, you know, I, I also, I want to warn you though, I'm universally known for loving horrible movies like <laughs> Fast and Furious franchise <laughs> or anything that's like, you know, Michael Bay related, right? Yeah. Like I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so I, I just like you're okay with them. Yeah. So you I just want to go. Yeah. Like for me, there's two categories that movies film falls into, right? So the first and foremost category is dude, I've had a long day. My mind is fried. I just need like an hour or two of not thinking. Yeah. And that's what it's Fast and Furious time, man. You yeah. Know? Like I just want to see explosions. <laughs> yeah. And... Dude, you just need junk food, man. Yeah. You just need it. Dude, you remind me of the robots. You got to check this out. So did okay. you ever see uh, Important Things by Dimitri Martin? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I love Dimitri. He's so good. He's so good. I love his stand-up where he does the drawings. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dimitri Martin. So there's like a season two episode where he like hires people to get him dates, like to make him. Oh, really? <laughs> you got... Oh, I got to watch that. To I got to watch that. It to you, man. It's so good. But you reminded me of that with the robots. But yeah, his, his stand up comedy is, is amazing. Oh, man. <laughs> Just inspirational. So hilarious, man. Oh, man. Maybe we could get Dimitri Martin on the podcast. Let's do it. Dude, One day. Come on, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Dream big. You never Dream know. Big. You never know what's you gonna never, happen. You never know. Hey, Dimitri Martin might be hearing this. He might say to himself, <laughs> I like skiing. I like snowboarding. I bet I could get these guys to fly me out there and expense a skiing trip. That's you right. know? And probably costs like a hundred thousand dollars to do it or Maybe even no big deal, worth it. Two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, that was yeah, the dream big. Dream big. So I mean, know the VC market's a little down right now, but <laughs> I don't believe that it's going to be down. What are you? And that use? senseless spending is going to come back. Yes. <laughs> what are you going to use this fifty million dollars for, Kenny? What in our next pitch? Yeah, it's going to be like, well, well, at least a million. It's going to be trying to get Dimitri Martin on the Parappa podcast. <laughs> what? What is the thing with like brands now have like their page where they like pay Chris Pratt or whoever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do they call ambassadors, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you need to get like Dimitri Martin as an ambassador of the brand. Oh, right. Yeah, like, yeah. In fact, yeah. I mean, yeah. What is Paramify's slogan? That's what I got to know. Enable trust. What? Enable trust. And there's also Simplify with Paramify. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is good. (laughs) Could you just imagine Dimitri backing you into that by like a drawing? (laughs) (laughs) We could just, we could probably have AI do it, you know, just, it might be okay. Right? It wouldn't be the same. No, it wouldn't be the same. No. It's okay. We heart, heart, heart Dimitri Martin. We love you. We love you, man. Love you. (laughs) 
big fans. And so and give, Dimitri, a, give Dimitri a point. We didn't uh, give it to him. Yeah, that, that, he gets like 50 points. So, <laughs> that's just, so we're hearing the winner of yeah. the podcast, yeah. Dimitri Martin. <laughs> and he was not even yeah. present for the podcast. <laughs> I love it's, it. It's I love only, it. It's only right. It's only right, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, Anything else? Any any parting words for your homies in the cyberspace? Any shouts we need to give? Yeah, I, look, I I just want to say uh, I'm really grateful for everything that people have done for me over the years. Right? Whether it was like I was that nerdy high school kid that was like hanging out behind a pizza shop trying to like pick your mind on how to get onto some BBS system, all the way to you know, our first clients that took a risk and used us for the pen testing services and helped us keep growing all the way to clients today that, you know, give us the time at Ultraviolet to show them all the cool innovations that we've been working on. And, you know, they can see the future vision that we're pushing towards and they they want to get on board, right? They want to, you know, kind of go on this adventure with us. And I, I just, I'm really grateful, right? I'm grateful for, for, you know, everything that I have and I, and also just really the people that I've been able to meet along the way. I think the one thing that, you know, my dad told me, I, I was going on a trip and uh, for several years and he told me, he's like, the biggest thing you want to do, and this is back before there was like smart cameras. He just gave me one of those like mm-hmm. old school cameras. He's like, the biggest thing you want to do is make sure every picture you take has a person in it. He's like, because... You know, places are great, but the memories attached to those people and the experience that you have, those are going to stay with you your whole life, right? And I'm honestly, I've lived by that since that day to today. I've I've lived my life that way, right? Like the whenever there's a chance to like have a good positive experience with someone, I I've tried to do my best to take advantage of that opportunity and and you know just overall try to live a life that's worth living and that probably sounds amazing weird but i love it not weird it's so awesome it's so true Ten thousand points yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all know dimitri's the winner come on <laughs> that's true <what> you mean. <laughs> i'll take your sympathy points yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah, give the sympathy points that's all right man points well hey man thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing the sentiment the jokes and mm-hmm. also just the insight into where we're going in cyber in the future. It's exciting. It's going to be hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's really hard, but it's awesome. Yeah. And I love it. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keaton. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me, Kenny. Really All appreciate right. it. Cool. Ciao.